Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Five years ago, the Chicago rapper Saba released an album called Care For Me. That's a song called Busy Slash Sirens. It's the opening track on the record. It's raw and frenzied. He talks about depression and anxiety, meaningless sex, immense loss. Saba wrote and recorded Care For Me in the wake of losing his cousin Walter. He and Walt were close. They were both members of Saba's crew, Pivot Gang. Each song is a different story about Walter or about what Saba dealt with after losing him. The rapper tells me he didn't even realize he'd written an entire album about his cousin until he was halfway through recording it. Before Care For Me, Saba was probably best known as a SoundCloud rapper, or maybe for his work with other Chicagoans like Chance the Rapper and No Name. But after Care For Me, he was a breakthrough star. He says that he wanted to follow Care For Me with another hit a few months later. He'd written that first record quick, so why not? But, you know, that isn't how work works. Inspiration happens when it happens. And his life had changed more than he could have possibly processed. He eventually followed up with Few Good Things, another great record that came out last year. And lately he has been collaborating with another Chicagoan, No ID, the legendary producer and DJ. Here's the latest single from that project, Human Nature. Drop flows, rap capo, the H and I C. They hoped I'd never blow like I'm HIV. My girl on, she ball like her name Tarasi. Hotel with the big couch, this ain't the lobby. The mics I've touched, they might leave dust, cause after me, ain't nobody gonna want to speak up. I need green light, I'm Don Juan Bishop. For all the time that the blue and red strike your lust, yeah. Resisting them, feel jack with the crack system. Cast in, switch banks like Aunt Vivian. I was young and t- Saba, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Hey man, thanks for having me. No ID produced these two new singles that you have. And yeah. I'm just like, how does that man, how's that man like so heavy in the game? Because I'm like, when was those, when were those common records? Those are 30 years 30 ago. 30 years, yeah. <laughs> like I was 12 <laughs> when those songs <laughs> came out. Yeah, man. That's got to be a heavy call to get. Or to make, I don't know. A, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, man. But I'll say I'll say this much. Being around him, it, it makes it really easy to understand why somebody uh like him would be a, you know, in, in it for thirty years and it is it, it still be fresh and new still, you know, it's like he's constantly like he's constantly in conversation. So I feel like he's almost like dedicated his life to learning and it just keeps you current you know well in in hip-hop producers you know that's often just the word for somebody that made a beat you know especially now where 
you don't even have to get in the same studio together. Somebody can email you a beat they made and, you know, maybe they send an engineer the stems so that it can get mastered, but they might not even be there when you're recording a vocal. Right. I get the impression that no idea is, is a producer producer. Like he is engaged thematically, personally. Uh, that's, that's, that's a really funny, like, it's just really funny to hear that because it, it, to me, it's like anything else, like, yes. And also no, not when he doesn't have to be, you know, like the, the songs that we've released so far from, you know, out of all the music we've worked on, that was like a really simple transaction where I had the beats and I went to the studio and I just recorded a bunch of songs and sent them to him. You know, it wasn't so much us being in the studio together really leading to that chemistry. It was more so just like, I know what to do here. You know what to do here. Like, you know, and it's, it's just really simple. And we kind of developed, uh, like, we kind of developed that way. And you know, months and months of doing it like that led to us eventually being in a studio and eventually, you know, producing, producing, as you call it. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit of both, you know, it's like both things are true. I read somewhere that when you were a kid, and I'm talking about like a kid kid, you were recording yourself rapping, but because you loved Bone Thugs so much, the rapping that you were doing was basically just making noises uh, <laughs> that sounded like rapping because that's what yeah. Bone Thug sounded like to you. Yeah, it was, and it, you know, I would I would do it. <laughs> so funny, I would do a take. Uh, we had a little four track cassette recorder. I would do a take, and I would just literally mumble rap like, "Oh, this is," and I would just, and then I would do another take on top of it where I just mumble something completely different. And it was like the chaos of it. It made no sense. There was like maybe one every 10 syllables was actually a word. Like it was like, it's really chaotic. But those were the first things that I probably ever created. I'm going to play Come My Way, which is a song that you made with Crazy Bone. Can you tell me about it? Man, Come My Way is a, it's something I worked on for a really long time. I got inspired thinking that I could get crazy bone on it you know and like just for reference point at the time of making this record it's probably 2018 i believe so it's not like i have access to <laughs> you know crazy bone or anything like that but um it was a lot of you know to this day i don't even really remember what you know the management management man like how we eventually uh set it up but that record just existing is obviously, it's like a huge dream come true for me, just talking about like how much I was influenced by them. And then, you know, he was just, he was real, he was real cool. He was like exactly the person that I imagined him to be. Like, I'm like, damn, like this Cray Jack just in the studio or like at the video shoot. And you know, like, I'm, I'm like, wow, this is, this is really like a beautiful moment, but yeah, that that song took a lot of it. Just took a lot of work and just manifesting to <laughs> to really make it happen. You know, what did you imagine him to be? To be honest, he always seemed like he was real to himself. Like I, 
I think like growing up, that's how I was. So, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have like a super personal close relationship with him or anything. Like he probably don't know me from a can of paint, but when I was kicking it with him, I was just like, man, he's the exact, <laughs> you know, this the, this the, this the, man, I, I'll just like fan out right now. Like in my head, just like, like, bro, so much of my rap influence came from just listening to them be themselves, you know, like it was dope to just, I don't know, to just be embraced and feel like, you know, somebody who helped me do what I do liked the job that I was doing. You know, that's how it felt to me. Yeah. Let's hear Come My Way uh, from, I guess, Saba's album, Few Good Things. It's such a lovely song. There's some nostalgia in it, but it also feels like it feels like the kind of nostalgia that's also about the future. It's not like we lost everything that we had when we were kids, which is a common theme in hip hop. You know what I mean? There's a lot of hip hop records, some really great ones that are about like, well, when we were kids, we were innocent and now we're not, right? And this is about sort of trying to capture that feeling, it feels like, and and bring it into the future. That's kind of crazy that you got that from that record. It's like worded kind of beautifully though. I like that. yeah, I think I would agree with it too. I think part of why I loved Bone Thugs and Harmony so much is because of the nostalgic like kind of feeling that you get listening to their beat selection matched with their melodies, you know. And when I was working on this, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like you know, it's is it's kind of how you say it. it's like like it's looking toward the future, but it's like there is the experience of the past still in so much of the, the, the lyrics and just the perspective of the, at least my my verse on the song. It's like, perspective is still, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you, 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 talk to your, you talk to your homie, you know. You also watch your homie pass, you know. Like, it's, it's not said out of sadness in this case. It just feels more like, this is what happened. It is what it is. And, you know, you, you're not trying to make sense of it. And, but it's like, but we will get, but we will be good. The thing that I think is able to, has always been able to keep me going is just that element of hope. Like, it's a hard thing to take away from somebody. But based on the experiences that some of us have had, in hip hop especially it's it's easy to feel hopeless. So I think that's the that's the feeling. And that's why it feels nostalgic, I think, outside of the melody. It's just it's hopeful, but it's hopeful with the known experience of what it took to become hopeful. Yeah. Did you have to talk yourself into that hopefulness? 
I never knew myself without it, you know? To be honest, like, you know, growing up, it wasn't like my experience was so different than what it became. So it was always a sense of feeling kind of drowned by your circumstance. And this idea of hopefulness as motivation to go that much harder or be that much more attentive or, you know, be that much more on point. And I think it it, it kind of created an obsession with me. Like, based on my circumstance, I devoted and just dedicated everything I had towards this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would just say I never knew myself to not be hopeful, given any circumstance, you know. I'll find it. Sometimes it might take months, but I've always come out hopeful. I mean, you're talking about making music when you were a kid, kid. <laughs> Did you think this is what I'm doing with my life when you were eight years old and 11 years old? Yes. <laughs> I was already doing it with my life. So there was there was no really talking me out of it because I was already I was already willing to give everything that I had and I didn't have much. I'm eight, I'm nine, you know, but what I did have was the time. And that's just really what I spent all my time doing between that and PlayStation Two. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like I am still eight, you know. I started playing PlayStation 2 again a few weeks ago. I got one in my crib now. And it's, the games back then were just better than what we have now, man. Like, oh my God. They're so much better. I think this is toxic nostalgia here. Is it? Nah. Nah, man. Because I'm pretty sure the best games ever made were for the NES. Am I mistaken? And the I... Sega Genesis. Is that not? I don't think it's I don't think I it's think toxic. All the best games think, were from yeah. my mom's 386 <laughs> PC. I think. I think. You ain't played PlayStation 2 yet. That's all that means. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you think that's better than that. We have so much more to get into. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Saba. He's a Chicago rapper from a scene that also birthed Chance and No Name, among others. His albums Care For Me and Few Good Things were both beloved by critics and fans. Lately, he's been working with another Chicago heavyweight, No ID, on a series of new songs. Here's a track from that collaboration. Back in office. My granny working hard, the main person I call up on. Gold chain hang from my collarbone. I was the same guy in her college dorm. And I ain't never had a college dorm. Body like a bottle in a skin tone terracotta. I'm from Chicago, we invented mobsters. Some call me Saba, others call me Saba. Your dad is a musician. He, I know he moved to New York to make music how old were you when that happened 
I was five. I was five when uh, my dad moved. That's like the moment of my life where it's like I'm a kid, but it's like the first, like, oh, it could get real. Like everything that you know to be regular can just change. That was the first time that happened for me. But I tell my dad all the time, I'm like, that uh, also I feel like was the first time I ever seen somebody follow their dream. And I think that was way more important for me because uh, it gave me that element. Like, like a part of my character became fearless as it pertained to my work. But I'm eight, nine years old, but I'm still like very confident. Like this is what I'll, this is what I'll spend my time doing. This is going to work. This is going to pay off. And that was the first time I seen somebody do it. And, uh, you know, as much as it hurt, it also was very inspiring and, and, and became like a huge part of the person that I became. And, you know, I, I still have a really, like, really great and really beautiful relationship with my dad, so I don't feel like I could imagine it differently, you know? As much as when I was a kid, I would have loved to change it. I, as an adult, I'm like, it, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> How old were you when you skipped grades in school? <laughs> uh, man, that was back when I was a genius, man. I used to be a genius. <laughs> I just, Tell me about it, dude. I and now everybody's a genius. You know, this is this is back in the day. This is when there were a few geniuses. I, I was a genius in the NES days. So <laughs> right, right. So these are my PS2 days. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what grade I skipped. I believe I skipped the third grade. So. How old are you in third grade? Nine, eight, eight, nine, nine, eight nine, nine, something like that. But yeah, I uh, I just tested really high on this like state test we had to do, and uh, yeah, my third grade teachers was like beat it. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm in fourth grade. Now. <laughs> like, I mean, the thing about skipping grades is I don't think they skip people grades that much anymore, and. I think the main reason is that as much as a kid who's does really good on a test is kicking the butt of the academic work in that class, that doesn't mean that that kid is ready for all of the other not academic work. Right. It's a lot of social aspects of existence. It's a lot of just everything else that is so much of a, kids development uh for me you know what's funny i have no idea why i skipped other than god like (laughs) i don't know like i'm like this is just like it had to be just god like trying to like accelerate get me done a little quicker get me in high school like because because i skipped that one grade i was able to be in high school at the same time as like so many people that I became so close to and still work with to this day because when I was a freshman, they were all uh, seniors. But had I been with my correct like age, like that would have just never happened. Like, and it's crazy. Like, I'm like, wow, such a small 
micro decision. Like I remember my mom like balancing that like in her head, like if she was gonna let me do it or not, you know. And such a like small decision affects that's like butterfly effect. <laughs> like I just I don't know, I'd be going down a rabbit hole sometimes, like, wow, man, I'm really grateful for everything happening the way it did. That's a great rabbit hole. I wish one time I could go down the <laughs> things I'm grateful for rabbit hole and not the things I messed up rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it you should. You should, <laughs> man. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It changes perspective a lot, man. And I think I don't know, man. Like I I just had a lot of I had a lot of, I feel like really, <laughs> I had the the type of life experiences where it's like you're forced to be grateful. <laughs> you know, it's like in order to hold on to something to be, because you got to stay hopeful, remember? So in order to be hopeful, it's like you grasp onto something. So what are you grasping onto? It's like, oh, well, I'm grateful for so much. And, uh, I feel like this is what I gained from my life in the last like year. So this wasn't always my perspective, but it's uh it's new. I'm new here. This is my first interview since being here, I feel like. <laughs> when I was reading about your childhood and adolescence and read about your dad moving to New York, about skipping ahead in school, um, about making music in your grandparents' basement. What it sounded to me like, and this is presumptuous, but it sounded a little lonely to me. <laughs> it's so funny how like casually vulnerable artist interviews are. Because uh, it's, it's really casual to even like reference so many things like from my life and my experience, you know, outside of outside of my artistry, you know, because it's not like we're really talking about Saba as a, you know, as a musician or brand or anything that I've built. It's like we're really talking about my life. And uh, I'll... I'll go there. I'll go there solely because I feel like I haven't, you know, and it's cool to 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 go new places and interviews. So yeah, let's let's do it. Let's buckle up. Let's go in. <laughs> let's go. Uh Yeah, man. Like I I'm also a, a like outside of just the circumstance, I'm very introverted. So it was, it was, it was really, uh, it was really isolating. It was really isolating. But that's the same isolation that allowed me the time to develop, you know, to really work and really challenge myself to believe in something. But yeah, lonely is definitely a word that you can use to describe it, you know? Yeah. I mean, forget forget skipping grades. Even just, you know, a couple of teachers telling your parents that you're a genius 
is enough to make you feel like a weird space alien. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that you're like, I wish I wasn't, but like. No, you know, I I had, (laughs) I feel like the thing that is as lonely as I feel like maybe that feeling was, I never really experienced that alone because I knew other, you said like weird space alien, like, when I skipped a grade, there was a girl in my class who was smarter than me. And, <laughs> you know, so we skipped the grade together. And I think part of <laughs> what's so funny is part of why I was so smart when I was that age was just competitive. Just competitive. Just because, nah, she's not about to keep getting better grades than me. I'm going to keep up. I'm going to do better. I'm going to keep, you know, uh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm a real competitive person. So shout out to Marin for being a genius, because <laughs> without you, I probably wouldn't have did it. <laughs> How do you think your dad's music career shaped yours? I don't know. I really don't. I used to just really, like, man, I'm such a big fan of my dad's music. So I used to just, like, I studied it a lot. You know, some of his chord shapes, some of the progressions, some of his drum programming, because he was also a really amazing producer. Um, his harmony, you know, I thought, I, I mean, I, I got a lot of sauce from my dad. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I don't know. Like I say, the, the most important thing I got from my dad was that that fearlessness, that fearlessness. Like I watched him go do it. And, you know, it was, it was just like, oh, I can just go do it. (laughs) You know, like there's nobody that can say like, no, you know, like that was kind of my like attitude towards it. Cause I watched my pops have, you know, when he would come visit Chicago, I watched him pull up with hundreds of his CDs with his face on it and his booklet and his record label on the back of it. You know, I watched him do that. So I'm like, oh, like, you know, I kind of grew up with a mentality like there's no person that you need to do what you want to do. You can just do it. And the results look different for everybody. But the fact that that was an option felt like finding out a cheat code to life or something. Like, I'm like, because I felt like that about anything. Like, I didn't necessarily have to pursue music. I could have, my first dream was to be a cartoon animator. I used to love cartoons. I still do, but I thought I would draw. But I still had the mindset that if I want to do this, like, I'll simply do it. And it won't be simple at all, but the actual act of <laughs> deciding it, you know. Did your dad ever get you gigs? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure, man. I had a summer, man. It was hell. <laughs> it was hell because it was always you're, you're embarrassing. Talking about you're out of school and you're staying with your dad in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, we would go out there for uh, sometimes like a few weeks over the summer usually. Your older brother is a musician too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Joseph. Me and Joseph. Joseph Chilliam. Shout out to my uh, brother. So me and Joe are in New York, and my dad was gigging like a lot, like every, pretty much every day. 
<laughs> so he would just bring us with him. First of all, this is probably like, I'm probably like 15, 16. And my dad, <laughs> I mean, he my dad, but he was like, and not to say he's not, but he's a very young looking man. So we 15 and and we walking into these clubs and my dad just like, hold your head high, be confident, walk past. Like, <laughs> like, like he not about to sweet talk nobody. Like, hey, these are my children. You, they're underage. They shouldn't be. In, he just like, hold your head high, look confident and walk right in. By the way, I like your dad voice that you just <laughs> hold your head high. So, <laughs> like, and, you know, he, he walking in, he'll get on stage, he'll introduce us. He's not giving any disclaimers. You know, he's not like, hey, hey, crowd, these are my children. Like, you know, it's just like, get up there and we in New York. You know, it's like, if you suck, they're going to tell you. <laughs> I'm 15, like, hey, yo, hey, yo, check it. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was just, it was just real funny, like, to to think back on. But that that really did shape, like, me and, and me and my brother's, like, performance career really early because we... We had experience. So when we got back to Chicago and started doing open mics, as nerve-wracking as it is, like I told you, I was like king introvert. Like as nerve-wracking as it was, it was like after having all of those like summers with my dad doing that. And, you know, that's way more embarrassing. I'm like, I'm I'm with my dad, you know, at a, at a club. I'm a kid. You know, nobody, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, but it made them open mics and stuff. It made just me more confident. So it was easier to navigate and just get up there and feel like I had something to say. You know? We got to go to a quick break. When we come back, Saba recommends gear, a musical instrument so beautiful and easy to use that he got one for his dad. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the rapper, Saba. You told me a few times that you are looking at the world in a new way. The time that you put on it was like a year. This year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you choose something? You know, in the, the it's just been interesting. It's been an interesting... Uh, Last year for me, it's been a, a lot of coming to terms with, like, my own, like, life. I'm like, last year I did a, I did a U.S. tour, I did a Europe tour. Did a couple South Africa dates. Like I did a I did a lot of shows last year. And I think there was so much moving that I was all like I spent the whole year, I feel like, in the future where I wasn't present for some of what are probably some of the best experiences of my life. You know, and I wasn't present for him because I'm like, oh, but tomorrow I have to do this and the next day I have to do, you know? And I feel like the last year of my life has just given me so many opportunities to check myself on that to where I'm like, I'm 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 just trying to be where 
I'm at currently. Uh, but, you know, every day I have an epiphany. I don't know. I can wake up tomorrow a new person. So don't hold me to nothing what I say in this. <laughs> like, it's a 24-hour grace period on all information. You know what I'm saying? I may wake up tomorrow like, yeah, no, nah, this is, I don't know. This is where it is now, you know? I mean, you had a number of years between Few Good Things, the album that came out in 2022, and the previous album. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that part of that was figuring out who you are as an adult. Because so much of the music you'd made before that was about dealing with these traumas that had happened to you as a, you know, as a young adult, mm -hmm. you know, as a 24-year-old or whatever. And that you had to figure out what your new life was that was beyond the reach of that or living with that com more comfortably. I think that's something that... uh to be honest, there's so many years in between Care For Me and the next project, not because of that, but more so just because, man, Care For Me did really well. <laughs> I just became very busy, and I had never really dealt with that in my career to where I knew what to do. My studio schedule was kind of changing my relationship to home was changing where when I would normally be at home, I'm working every day and, doing, you know, but it's like now it's like I'm so tired and I'm so, you know, I'm just going home and being home. Like I need to chill. It became like years where I work on music in like a week, few weeks span, and then I tour and then I go work on music and then I tour. But I had, man, I had so many like, Man, this point is I almost drove myself into insanity. Like, my plan was to drop Care For Me and then immediately drop another project. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. I, I think April Care For Me came out, and I was trying to get another project done. Uh, I think November I wanted to drop, and we got in the studio, and we just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Why are we doing? <laughs> like, we're going to go crazy. But some good, great music came from it. And that's why I put out those songs uh, toward the end of 2018, Papaya, Excited. I wanted you wild, you were with your guy, but that beside the point, the fruits of the labor, papaya, one day we'll split the pie up and maybe enjoy your brown skin turns blue under the moon. You know I don't smoke, but you'd fire the joint. That whole run was just from this album that I was trying to just kind of out oh sorry uh, uh, you know like, <laughs> like but some great things still came from it and then 2019 was similar man i would have loved to put out an album in 2019 but we toured so much we just toured and toured and toured and 
we worked on a pivot game a pivot gang run uh where we did that album released that album and also did a pivot gang tour so it's just like there's always a story for it then in 2020 I had a mixtape done and ready to go and I was about to start rolling it out and then the pandemic happens and it's like everybody's pausing everything like what is happening in the world? You know, it's like every year there's something. 2021, I had a release date for a few good things and when we lost Squeak and Pivot Gang, when, when Squeak was killed in Chicago, it just, I wasn't comfortable. You know, I'm uncomfortable doing this right now. So I... You know, I, I I bought myself until 2022, but in none of those years was it for lack of uh, just, it, it, you know, it's like something was ready pretty much every, every year. And it's, you know, life, life is still life though, you know, so it's always, it's always, uh, I feel like more to it. I think now I'm where you're describing where it's like, well, what do you sound like as an adult? Cause now I'm like, yeah, that's what, it's <laughs> kind of what's happening in my life now. I'm like, damn, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and I'm still doing it. This is pretty awesome. What does that perspective sound like? <laughs> like Do you ever go make music with your dad? Yeah, we, uh, man, I just had a... <laughs> I went to New York uh, a few weeks ago and uh, I convinced him to buy this keyboard because um, I got this new keyboard. It's the, it's, <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm I'm plug it. You know, it's, it's not because I'm getting anything for this, but because I think it's a beautiful piece of gear that producers should have. Right. No. Um, uh, no one. No one is more sincere about gear recommendations <laughs> than studio nerds. Right. Right. But there's the the MPC keyboard. I waited my whole life for there to be an MPC keyboard, like the drum machine, but a keyboard version. And I called my dad one day, and I'm like, "Bro, you need this. Like, go cop it. Like, so he buys it, but has no idea, you know, what's really going on with it. Like, he bought it as per my recommendation, but he didn't really you know learn it so when i was out there i was like walking him through like what i was doing with it and he man he made a bunch of beats while i was there and it was just it's it's really dope but he's you know he's obviously like a really big inspiration to me so it's always dope to cook with you know i'm literally making beats with my dad <laughs> it's kind of dope though like it's cool well, Saba, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Saba. As we mentioned, he has been steadily putting out work with no ID, a true Chicago legend. Watch out for more of that on the horizon. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Although this week, I went home to San Francisco and the Mission District and my mom's apartment, and specifically her basement, where I found a flyer that I made when my then co-host on this show, Jordan Morris, and I were still in college doing college radio. And for a fundraiser, we did an entire episode of the show from the base of the campus of UC Santa Cruz in our underpants, uh, tidy whities specifically. 
Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers, Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fund, Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by the great Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the great band The Go Team, thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries. And hey, guess what? Bullseye is now on Instagram. We are going to share interview highlights and looks behind the scenes and cool stuff we think is cool. Uh, you can find us there on the Insta at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne and uh, follow us and tell everybody you know to get with it at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on Instagram. Let's go. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.